Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Hilda Solis, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. To keep up with the latest updates and science-based recommendations, you can follow us across all social media at LA Public Health or visit our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. And now, here's Supervisor Hilda Solis. Yes, uh, good afternoon and thank you for joining today's press briefing. I'm Hilda L. Solis, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. On Monday, the very first healthcare workers in Los Angeles County received the Pfizer vaccine, bringing some very much needed hope and light during these dark times. It was indeed a momentous day for our country in the fight against COVID-19. And I wanna reiterate my thanks to the incredible scientists and researchers, some of whom are proud immigrants who worked at historic speed to develop this safe and effective vaccine. Thanks to them, we can now see an endpoint to this pandemic. And that fills me with great hope for what's to come. Even though the exact timeline for widespread access remains unclear, some of our healthcare workers have started receiving their first shot of the vaccine. I had the honor of witnessing that history-making moment, and I got to meet an ICU nurse who was receiving the vaccine. She volunteered to be one of the first people in California to get vaccinated in order to demonstrate its safety and efficacy. She has been working long hours taking care of COVID-19 patients, and in recent weeks, her job has gotten a lot harder due to the surge of COVID patients. She, along with so many other healthcare workers, are some of the most courageous people during this pandemic. We owe them our eternal gratitude, and they will be prioritized to receive the vaccine. But we know that they are also exhausted as our hospitals continue to fill up. The reality is that the vaccine will not save us from the current COVID-19 surge. Our hope must be balanced by vigilance. This is the final press briefing that I will do before the year's end. So I want to use this opportunity to reiterate this message to our residents before the holidays. We can't let our guard down. You and your loved ones do not want to spend the holidays sick or in a hospital room. The vaccine is here. The pandemic will not last forever. And the goal for everyone right now is to continue keeping ourselves and our loved ones safe until widespread access becomes available. It is only a matter of time, but we must first get through these next several months. By December 21st, we're expecting the second vaccine shipment to arrive. These will go to staff and residents at skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities. Before the year's end, we're hoping to get the third shipment of this first dose. With the goal of getting about 250 to 300,000 healthcare providers, emergency medical workers, as well as staff and residents of skilled nursing facilities vaccinated. In the, new, in the new year, we'll start vaccinating more broadly with the focus on equity. We will ensure that vaccines are eventually available in every neighborhood and to all people in Los Angeles, regardless of race, insurance status, or ability to pay. And I'm committed to making sure that everyone who wants a vaccine will have access to one. With Hanukkah coming to a close tomorrow, the light this beautiful holiday affords, many in our communities will continue to shine through. Just as Christmas is coming, we must try to limit family gatherings where the virus is easily spread. Doing so can save so many lives. Please know that we have to abide by the safer at home order during this holiday season. 
Yes, this holiday will look different, but it's critical for this pandemic not to extend more than it already has. Thank you, and I would now like to introduce our Director of the Department of Public Health, Dr. Barbara Ferrer. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much, Supervisor Solis, and to the entire Board of Supervisors for all you're doing to protect the health of everyone here in L.A. County. Uh, today, I'm going to update you on our still overwhelming numbers of COVID-19 cases and the devastating increases in hospitalizations and deaths that we're continuing to see in L.A. County. I'll also talk about how this surge in cases is disproportionately affecting some communities more than others across L.A. County. At the end of my briefing, I will provide the latest update on the COVID-19 vaccination efforts here. Before I provide these updates and discuss vaccines, I want to acknowledge that we're experiencing an explosive and very deadly surge. And there's urgency in our request that everyone do all that's in their power to slow transmission and prevent additional suffering. Although the first shipment of COVID-19 vaccines has arrived, and we, like everyone else, are deeply appreciative of all the work that's gone into getting us to this place, the virus is still very much with us and continues to devastate lives throughout the county and completely overwhelm our hospital care system. Hospital capacity is decreasing to alarming levels, and our healthcare workers are pushed to the limits. This affects every single person that lives and works in LA County, since we all depend on being able to get, to get essential hospital care when we need it. Every hour, on average, two of our neighbors, family members, and friends are dying from COVID-19, and the virus is rampant in all neighborhoods. We have the most difficult road yet in front of us, and I encourage everyone to stay home as much as possible, protect your families and friends, and take every precaution that's available to you. Unless we remain more vigilant and more diligent through the holidays and beyond, we will not be able to stop the surge and provide essential relief to our hospitals and our healthcare workers. And I'm going to start with updating you on our current status. Uh, we are sad to report today 131 additional people have passed away. This is the highest number we've ever reported since the pandemic began. And unfortunately, it brings the total number of deaths in L.A. County to a staggering 8,127. For everyone who's now facing a future without someone they love, uh, because they passed away from COVID-19, we send you our deepest sympathies and we wish you healing and peace. We're also reporting over 21,411 new cases today. That's right, 21,411. This does include a backlog of approximately 7,000 cases. Uh, this is the lab that didn't report to us for a couple of days. These are nonetheless extraordinary, extraordinary numbers, and they represent transmission that continues to be out of control. It brings the total number of cases in LA County to 539,097. This does not include cases from Long Beach and Pasadena today. There are 4,656 people currently hospitalized with COVID-19. 
21% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU, and 15% are on ventilators. I believe this is another day of an increase of 200 uh, more patients. We have investigated a total of 3,393 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, we have 1,227 open investigations, and we've closed 2,166 investigations. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is 52,885. This includes 24,484 cases among residents and 28,401 among staff. I'll take the first slide. This is a slide I, I show often, uh, and each day the numbers on it become more and more distressing. The slide shows the seven-day average daily number of COVID-19 cases by episode date, which means there's a lag time here. Episode date is the date a person took a test or first experienced COVID-19 symptoms. As you can see on this graph, the surge in COVID-19 cases in LA County continues unabated. And it's a near vertical line over the last several weeks. From November 1st through December 8th, average daily cases increased by 656%. And in this past week and a half, we've seen in cases increase from an average about 5,900 cases each day uh, in the last week in November to an average of 9,264 cases the second week in December. Next slide. This slide shows the three-day daily average for a test positivity or the percentage of tests that are done that come back positive. Like cases, our positivity rate continues to sharply increase, which reflects a significant increase in community transmission. From early November through December 8th, our positivity rate nearly quadrupled uh, from around 3.5% to now close to 15%. Next slide. This is a slide we should all pay very close attention to. Uh, as we've been reporting, uh, LA County is experiencing a sharp increase in the number of people who are becoming seriously ill from COVID-19 and require hospitalization. Since early November, the daily numbers of people currently hospitalized for COVID-19 has increased from about 791 patients hospitalized uh, with COVID-19 on November 1st to 4,656 patients that are hospitalized today. For the past two weeks, every day, we've seen a record number of people hospitalized. And as I said on Monday, we expect to see the number of people hospitalized for COVID-19 reach 5,000 just a couple of days from now. The sad reality is that the overwhelming increase uh, in COVID-19 patients at hospitals today reflects our case numbers two weeks ago when the average daily number of cases was about 6,300. With our average daily cases this past week increasing to over now 12,000, the number of COVID-19 positive individuals that will need hospital care will just keep increasing. Next slide. This graph shows a seven-day average in the daily number of deaths from COVID-19. And as you can see, we're now experiencing a distressing increase in deaths that surpasses anything we saw in the early days of the pandemic. Since November 9th, average daily deaths have increased 267%. 
from an average of 12 deaths per day uh, at the beginning of November to an average of now 44 deaths per day, and that was as of December 8th, does not include this week's numbers. Because we continue to see more cases and more hospitalizations, increases in daily deaths will stay on this very tragic and troubling course for some time. Already, COVID-19 has claimed the lives of over 8,000 people, people of all ages, living in communities across this entire county. Their deaths are an inconceivable loss to their friends, families, and coworkers, and to our entire community. My heart goes out to all. Next slide. This slide shows our weekly number of deaths compared with our weekly number of deaths just at our skilled nursing facilities. For overall deaths, we're now experiencing, as I noted, peaks uh, that are you know, going to extend past what we experienced early in the pandemic. Uh, unfortunately, this is also translating now to increases in deaths at our skilled nursing facilities, although thankfully this is not at the levels we saw early on in the pandemic. In early May, weekly deaths for residents at skilled nursing facilities reached a high of 191. For the period that ended December 5th, weekly deaths at these facilities rose to 49. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that this does not continue to rise as we work with the facilities and collaborate with all of our partners to monitor the outbreaks and take any measures needed to further protect residents and staff at our skilled nursing facilities. Residents and staff at the skilled nursing facilities are among those who will be vaccinated in this early uh, phase of vaccination. Uh, and our hope is that we're able to, uh, with a, another allocation that may come to us next week, uh, we're able to begin that vaccination process uh, later on uh, next week. We do extend our gratitude to the thousands of workers in skilled nursing facilities that do their very best to care for some of our most vulnerable residents. Next slide. This slide shows the relationship between increases in cases to increases in hospitalizations and ultimately to increases in deaths. The green line shows cases, the orange line shows hospitalizations, and the blue line shows deaths. You can see both in the summer and now, hospitalizations and deaths increased shortly after surges in cases began, and they're continuing to rise. Considering how cases are steeply climbing, we can, with a high degree of certainty, predict future increases in the number of people that are gonna require hospitalization, and unfortunately, the number of people who will pass away creating more worry and more heartache for so many. Next slide. As we do every two weeks, I'm sharing the data that shows how different groups of residents are faring in terms of cases, hospitalizations, and death rates. As cases surge, it's very clear and quite alarming that certain groups are once again bearing a greater burden of illness and death than others. The gaps between racial and ethnic groups that we made so much progress in closing uh, back in late summer and early September, now continue to widen, particularly for Latinx residents uh, compared to other groups, though all groups are experiencing increases. This slide shows the daily age-adjusted rates of cases per 100,000 people, broken down by race and ethnicity since late April through December 8th. The top line in yellow is the case rate for our Latinx residents. Latinx residents are now seeing a seven-day cumulative rate 
of nearly 650 new cases per 100,000 people. This is more than two times the rate for black residents, which are the group with the second highest case rate at about 270 new cases per 100,000 individuals. And it's almost three times the rate experienced by our white residents and by our Asian residents. Next slide. As with cases, the gaps in hospitalization rates by race and ethnicity are also widening. Latinx residents, again shown here in yellow, have a hospitalization rate of 55 hospitalizations per 100,000 people. It's a 358% increase since early November, and it's three times the hospitalization rate for white residents. The number of black residents in hospitals is also increasing to 36 uh, hospitalizations per 100,000 people. This is a 350% increase since early November and more than double the rate, again, experienced by white residents. White residents, which is the orange line, whose rate is 17 hospitalizations per 100,000 people, and Asian residents, the blue line, which, where the rate is 15 uh, hospitalizations per 100,000 uh, residents, experience significantly lower rates of hospitalizations than our black and Latino residents. Next slide. Alarmingly, while death rates among white residents remain relatively stable at one to two deaths per 100,000 people, Latino, black, and Asian residents are experiencing increases in mortality. Over the past four weeks, the death rate amongst Latinx, the yellow line, has increased from 1.4 daily deaths per 100,000 people to 4.5 daily deaths, and this is twice the rate for white residents. Over the past four weeks, the death rate amongst black residents increased from less than one death per 100,000 people to more than three deaths per 100,000 people. And we're now witnessing an alarming increase as well in deaths among Asian residents, from 0.5 deaths in early November to three deaths per 100,000 people now. Next slide. In addition to race and ethnicity, we also look at differences in our metrics by income to understand the impact of how low socioeconomic status uh, plays out on disease transmission and outcomes. Here you can see the direct relationship between high rates of poverty and high case rates. Those who live in areas of the county with the highest rate of cases are also the same people that live in communities with the fewest resources. You can see that on the yellow and orange lines. While all groups are seeing increases in cases, on December 7th, people living in the lowest resources, resourced areas had a case rate of nearly 1,000 cases per 100,000 people. That's triple what it was just two weeks ago. And people living in the highest resourced areas had a case rate of 457 cases per 100,000 people. And that has uh, just about doubled uh, from where it was two weeks ago. Everyone's having increases, but unfortunately the gap keeps widening. Next slide. On this graph, you can see the impact of area poverty on death rates. Those residents who live in areas with the fewest resources, shown in the orange line, have experienced consistently higher rates of death compared to their more affluent neighbors. That's the line in blue. As overall deaths have again begun to increase, we see that people in the lowest resource tier are bearing a great deal of this burden. The death rate amongst people living in the lowest resourced areas is now four times that of people living in areas with the most resources. 
and unfortunately, this gap too looks to be growing. Throughout the pandemic, the life and death consequences of racism and poverty have played out in devastating ways and they continue to do so. The widening gaps are a stark reminder that many of our essential workers are black and brown and many are not able to telework or stay home. Many work at jobs with low wages and many live in under-resourced neighborhoods. During the surge, all our essential workers are taking on increased risks at their jobs because community transmission rates are so high. The only way to reduce their risk is if every business is fully implementing the safety modifications required by the health officer order. This includes providing appropriate personal protection, equipment, and adhering to all the infection control measures. And we also need every resident to protect our essential workers by playing by the rules. This means always wearing a face covering and keeping distance from others. There should be no crowding and everyone needs to frequently wash their hands. All non-essential activities should be limited. Violations at workplaces, as a reminder, can be reported anonymously at 888-700-9995. We're also gonna need to continue to work hard to address the root causes of this disproportionate impact on health by fighting against racism and ensuring that every individual, family, and community has the resources that they need to survive this pandemic. Next slide. I do wanna provide a quick update on the vaccines that are coming to LA County and the groups that are currently being vaccinated. As of today, all nine designated uh, sites have received their allotment of almost 83,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccine. Each of these nine pre-positioned sites have been working with the public health and our partners at EMS to arrange for the redistribution of, this, of these vaccines so that every acute care hospital across LA County that treats COVID-19 patients receives their fair share of this initial allocation. As of today, all acute care hospitals are beginning or will soon begin the process of administering the vaccinations to their staff in the highest risk categories. The first round of COVID-19 vaccines in LA County are appropriately going to our heroes in this pandemic, the frontline healthcare workers who have been putting themselves at risk each day to care for all of us. A second allocation of the vaccine that we expect later this month and hopefully next week will enable us to distribute doses to all healthcare personnel and residents at our skilled nursing facilities and EMS frontline workers, along with the continued distribution to frontline healthcare personnel at the acute care hospitals. We do not yet have confirmation on the exact date that we'll receive our next shipment or the exact number of doses we'll receive. But as soon as that information is confirmed, uh, we'll pass it on to all of you. We will continue to give you daily updates on our vaccination progress. And I wanna applaud everyone who's involved in helping us get vaccines distributed in a safe, equitable and efficient manner during this month of December and then beyond into the new year. Next slide. Although the arrival of vaccines in LA County has given us a lot of hope, we are still in the midst of a disastrous surge in cases, hospitalizations, and sadly more deaths. The way to stop this explosive surge is to use the tools we have before us. 
the tools we all at this point know how to use and have been using for many of us over the past months. It's up to each and every one of us to do our part at this point to reduce transmission of the deadly virus. It's really vitally important, more than ever, that we take the tools we have right now uh, because the catastrophic impact of this continued high rate of transmission uh, is really devastating for our hospitals and for people's lives. In just a couple of days, there are likely to be over 5,000 patients hospitalized with COVID-19, and more than 50% of our ICU beds can be occupied by patients with COVID-19. The most important way we're going to get through these hard times is for everyone to stay home as much as possible and only go out for work, exercise, or essential services. When you do leave your home, always wear a face covering and stay six feet away from the people you don't live with. Please use today to cancel holiday plans that involve travel or gathering with friends and family that are not part of your household. I've heard from a lot of people who have postponed their travel plans and they're staying home. And I'm encouraged to hear that many big holiday parties are also being canceled. This is the smart thing to do, and we applaud you. It's simply too risky to mingle with others from outside your household. We've often said that this year will need to be different, and we will not be able to celebrate the way we'd like. We have learned a hard and painful lesson from our actions over Thanksgiving. Please, let's not repeat the same mistakes as we move into our next holiday season. Thank you. And now Dr. Galley will provide updates from the Department of Health Services. Good afternoon. Today, I want to be very clear. Our hospitals are under siege, and our model shows no end in sight. I haven't said this before because Los Angeles County has not been in this situation to this point in the pandemic before, but the worst is still before us, and I want to share a little bit about what we can expect. A hospital system and an emergency medical services system that cannot provide the level of care that we all expect or would want for ourselves or our loved ones if we need it. This includes care for both those with COVID as well as those without COVID who have other illnesses or injuries. This means that patients will wait longer to receive care, whether it's that they're waiting in an ambulance to be offloaded into an emergency department or they're waiting in that emergency department for definitive care or get to a proper room. It will result in our dedicated healthcare workers who have been on the front line this entire time taking care of more patients than is safe to do so, a situation that will result in poor patient outcomes. In extreme circumstances, it will also result in the rationing of ICU or intensive care unit and other hospital beds because the system simply does not have the ability and the staff to provide the care for all those who need it and would benefit from it. And all of this means that we will have an increase in deaths in the days and weeks to come. Our ICU beds and our healthcare workers are a finite resource. Hospitals adapt and surge in a number of ways, and I've discussed many of them over previous weeks. They add staff, they clear out beds, they discharge patients whenever they can, they cancel surgeries, they cancel procedures that can wait, they flex their staffing resources. But these actions, while critical and ongoing, cannot continue indefinitely. Hospitals are working feverishly to staff up additional ICU beds, but there are simply not enough trained staff to care for the volume of patients that are projected to come and need care. 
The same is true to a certain degree, even for non-ICU beds, but those that need more general medical care. Today are 911 receiving hospitals. These are in the hospitals that have emergency departments and are on the front lines throughout the pandemic, caring for the vast majority of COVID and non-COVID patients alike. They are reporting today 916 total available beds, of which 102 of those are intensive care unit beds. So today in Los Angeles County, let me be clear, we have a problem, and at this point, all our hospital systems can do is brace for these days and weeks to come. Our emergency rooms cannot keep up when they are functioning as an ICU. Our operating rooms cannot perform as many surgeries as they should when those staff are needed to care for COVID patients and when the space is needed for inpatients who no longer fit in the regularly licensed areas of the hospital. We are seeing the impact of what happened over Thanksgiving. It does not seem that enough people heard and followed the message to stay home and avoid gathering with others. Transmission and new cases are soaring as a result of the holiday activity and the more general interactions and intermingling that occurred both before and after. The model indicates that the effective transmission rate, or R, is now 1.20. This is higher than what I reported last week when it was 1.14. We can slow the spread of the virus, but it will take immense effort. Slowing the spread of a virus when one in every 1,000 people are infected and infecting others is a very different story and astronomically easier than slowing the spread of virus when one in every 80 people are infected and infecting others. And that latter situation, one in 80, is where we are at today. Even so, with dramatic efforts, we are still in for a rough few weeks at least, and potentially through January, if not beyond. The vaccine, while a very important ray of hope and a critical tool for helping us keep our healthcare workforce safe in the midst of this surge, the vaccine will not prevent the surge from happening. There are simply not enough doses in a short enough time frame to make a difference among the general infection rate in the regular population. So with that in mind, let's look at the model. Can you turn on the first slide, please? You'll note that these slides look different this week. Because of the stark increase in COVID-19 hospital utilization and to better focus on more recent events, both the vertical and the horizontal axes on multiple graphs have been changed. Simply put, we are off the grid in terms of our predictions and what we had predicted before, so we had to change the grid. Last week, the top of this graph cut out at 1,000 new cases requiring hospitalization each day. However, hospital admissions have doubled in the last two and a half weeks and now exceed 600 new COVID inpatients every day. As you can see in the red shading, without a change in people's behavior, the model projects that these numbers could double, ranging anywhere between 750 and 1,350 by the end of December. I think, next slide, please. Thanks. These numbers are frighteningly high and not something that the number of staff that are available within the county can manage. Next slide. This is what the, this week's prediction would look like in terms of the total number of currently hospitalized patients if we didn't change the scale. And next slide. And this is the new scale. We had to triple it given the significant increases in hospital admissions over the past week and to show the model predictions in the month ahead. 
The need for hospital beds for COVID-19 patients has increased by about one-third in the last week compared to the previous week and doubled again, as I mentioned, in the over the course of the last two and a half weeks. To continue to meet the need for patients with COVID-19 who require hospitalizations, we freed up capacity by discharging patients and continuing their care at home or in other settings whenever possible. You can see that hospitals have been able to keep up with the increase in demand for hospital beds, but that ability, represented by the distance between the red dotted line, or available beds, and the white line, is closing. Can you go to the previous slide? I think we're off on one side, thanks. The red shaded area indicates where we predict demand may go in the weeks ahead, numbers that far surpass any ability of a hospital to surge ranging anywhere between 5,500 and 9,000 total COVID patients in the hospitals. And now the next slide. Again, ICU beds is where we have our most significant problem. You can see our current need for ICU beds is quickly approaching the number of available beds that hospital report that they have immediately available for patients who require that level of care. Please note that the prior graphs had an upper limit of 2,000 beds, but that's now been expanded to 4,000 beds so that we can portray the model projections more clearly. The model predicts that the number of patients requiring ICU care in Los Angeles County within a month could easily exceed the total number of licensed adult ICU beds. That's 2,500. And that could exceed that number by 1,000 or more. As I mentioned before, there is simply a limit to the number of people who can safely receive intensive care services in our hospitals at any one time, even after everything has been possible that has been done to expand the capacity and expand the ICUs to every part. As has been true the entire time, the problem is not physical space. Setting up overflow, in, overflow capacity in non-hospital settings will not solve this problem. Even when the projected shortage of beds, the safest place for a patient who is sick enough to need hospital-level care is always within a hospital. Even with staffing shortages, hospitals have critical infrastructure that is needed for the proper care of patients. They have laboratory services, radiology services, cafeteria and support services, infection control infrastructure, quality infrastructure, among many other things. The safest and the best approach must be to continue to care for acute level patients within the four walls of an acute hospital. In supporting this goal though, we all need, we need all of the lower level of care providers out there, whether they're dialysis centers, home hospital, uh, home health care corporations, other lower level of care organizations in licensed and unlicensed care settings to do everything they can to accept the transfer of patients out of hospitals. The county is helping in this regard by opening up an additional 200 quarantine and isolation beds for patients exiting hospitals as well as for persons experiencing homelessness who do not have an option of sheltering at home. This is on top of the existing 300 beds that are currently in operation. I urge every Los Angeles County resident to hear the message. If you don't do everything possible to minimize spread, then you are contributing to the spread and prolonging the amount of time in which our hospitals have more patients caring for them than they can safely handle. The consequences of this will affect anyone and everyone who needs hospital level care. It's not just those with COVID. 
It will impact people who have a heart attack or a stroke and need services, those who are in a car accident and need surgery, those who have newly diagnosed cancer and need immediate chemotherapy in an inpatient setting. So what can you do? There's a few things. First, stay at home, please. This is the single most important thing that you can do to stop the spread of the virus. Second, please don't mingle with those outside of your household. Many things are permitted still, but they may not be wise and they carry immense risks for you and for those around you. And this level has, of risk has increased with this latest transmission. Things that were safe in the fall or that were safe even two months ago or one month ago are not safe today. Having just a very small birthday party for your child in a park is not safe. Having a very small holiday gathering is not safe. Getting together with a couple of friends at dinner is not safe. Participating in a sports tournament, whether it's formal or informal, is not safe. The interactions that take place between essential workers and those who are using an essential service presents more than enough risks than what we can all handle. So please keep your interactions with those outside of your household to just that core set of providing an essential service or using an essential service. And when doing so, please wear your mask and keep your distance as much as possible. Third, if you're having a medical or psychiatric emergency, please do call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. Emergency departments are there for you and they are there for you when you have an emergency. However, if you don't have an emergency, please refrain from going to the emergency department and refrain from using the 911 system for non-emergency situations. Unnecessary use of ambulances and unnecessary use of emergency departments at this point is contributing to the overcrowding of these already extremely strained resources and imposes delays on those in those resources and using those resources who do indeed have a true emergency. Instead, there's a variety of things you can do. Call your provider, visit an urgent care center, utilize a nurse advice line, many of which are option, options that are there to you through your health plan or through your provider network. And fourth and final, please this holiday season, celebrate only with those in your household. I know that the holidays feel different and none of us like this, but staying home is the best thing that we can do to show compassion and care and love to those around us. I'll now introduce Dr. Denise Whitfield. She's an Associate Medical Director with the Los Angeles County EMS Agency and an Emergency Room Physician at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. Thank you. Thank you so much. As an emergency medicine physician practicing in Los Angeles County, for the last nine months as we have managed this pandemic, I have seen firsthand the, the toll that it has taken on patients and their families. Um, however, I don't know that the average person can really appreciate this unless they have been affected directly or have had a family member that has been admitted to the hospital to receive care. And so what I wanted to do today is really just over the next few minutes share some of my personal experiences to let everyone know the gravity of the situation that's happening in our hospital system and um, let you know that this is real and it's something that needs to be taken seriously. My last shift in the emergency department was this past weekend, 
And over the nine, last nine months as we've been dealing with this COVID pandemic, I can say that it's been the worst that I have seen things in terms of looking at our capacity to care for our patients. Um, each day we have managed COVID patients, but what was very notable to me over this, this last past weekend was that our bed space is limited in, the, in the, the fact that we are having to board patients in the emergency department. And what that means is that when a patient needs to be admitted to the hospital, requiring either an ICU or an inpatient bed, that we just don't have the staffing or the, the actual bed space to, to, to care for them. And what that does is it backs up our, um, our, our amount of time where we have to keep them in the emergency department, therefore limiting the capacity that we have to take care of patients with other emergencies, including strokes, heart attacks, traumas. And to this point, we have done our best to make accommodations to care for every patient that walks through our doors. But it's the first time really in my, my medical career, and I've been practicing emergency medicine for over a decade, where I have felt that this is actually threatened, that the, the level of care that, I, that we can provide for our patients is, is actually threatened by this, this overcrowding and this surge of COVID-19 patients. Um, the other thing that I have noticed with regards to our overcrowding and the, the toll that this has taken, this COVID pandemic, is our effect on the, the EMS system. And so as I walked into my shift, um, typically we, we will receive ambulance traffic, but I saw lines of, of EMS providers with their patients uh, awaiting evaluation, triage, and uh, disposition to be placed in a bed. And this is something that is happening throughout Los Angeles County where our ambulance patient offload times are increasing and the amount of time that EMS has to spend in the hospital takes time away from them where they can actually respond to cases and that affects every resident in Los Angeles County. The third thing that I have noticed is really the emotional toll that this has taken on myself and every colleague that I, that I have that works in the emergency department but also other places within our healthcare system and in our, in our inpatient wards. This pandemic is something that we have dealt with for over the last nine months since this spring. And we have worked firsthand and personally with sick patients that have had difficulty breathing. We have had to counsel family members with some uncertainty as to what might happen to their, to their loved ones. And we have dealt with death of patients as well. And so looking at our numbers and how these numbers are increasing throughout the county, it's really, really quite frightening to me. And I, I would like for every Los Angeles County resident to have an appreciation of what this does to our healthcare system. Um, over the next few weeks, if the numbers continue to increase the way they have, I am afraid that we may run out of capacity within our hospitals and the level of care that every resident in Los Angeles County deserves may be threatened just by the fact that we are, are overwhelmed by those numbers. And so what I would like to ask for every, every person listening to this, this briefing to do is to really take this seriously. And as much as we work as healthcare providers to provide the best care that we can, we can't do it alone. And the only way to manage this pandemic is through your help by doing everything that is recommended to limit the amount of time that you go outside, limit the interactions that you have with others that are outside of your household, and really focus on decreasing the transmission of, of COVID-19. With that, um, I would like to uh, transition to our question and answer session. Thank you. And to ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press one then zero on your phone. You may remove yourself from queue at any time by pressing the one zero again. 
If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up the handset before pressing the numbers. And also, again, please limit yourself to one to two questions. Once again, if you have a question, it is one and zero at this time. One moment, please. We'll go to the line of Annabelle Munoz with ABC Television. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon. Um, two questions. The first one is a clarification on the total deaths that have been reported in Los Angeles County. Dr. Ferrer, I thought I heard you say that number is 8,127. On the website, we see 8,431 as of yesterday. So just looking for clarification on that. And two, I think Dr. Whitfield kind of touched on this maybe a little bit. Um, we reported this record number of daily deaths over Twitter. Um, one person asked for clarification on the numbers, and then someone jumped in, and I want to read you the tweet. It says, it's the biggest fear factor fraud ever. The numbers aren't real. I also heard from a colleague who was being harassed outside of a hospital today while he was reporting by someone who told him to stop spreading lies. Do you know how this frame of mind, how this mindset is impacting your ability to combat the pandemic? And how do you handle that? What do you do? Can you change people's minds? So, Dr. Ferrer, do you want to take the first part and then Dr. Wood? Yeah, thanks so much. And I'm glad you're giving me an opportunity to clarify because the numbers I reported did not include Long Beach and Pasadena because we were still pulling those but the total number of new deaths today is 138 new deaths, 131, as I reported earlier, from L.A. County. Seven are reported by Long Beach, uh, and none, no new deaths are reported by Pasadena. That means the total number of deaths is now 8,568, uh, including both Long Beach and Pasadena. So uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to clarify uh, the numbers I reported earlier didn't include uh, Long Beach and Pasadena. And next we'll go to the line of Ron Lynn with the Los Angeles oh, Times. Okay. Yes, um, thank you to answer the second part of that question regarding the mindset of, of many people. And I think the best way to to assist with that is really to share our stories as to what is really happening in the hospitals. As I mentioned, for, for the average person that's not a healthcare worker or that does not work in the hospitals or who has not had someone that has been personally affected that's required hospital care, level care with this pandemic, that it may seem very distant or they may question whether or not it is real. It is real. But I think that by sharing our stories and by letting everyone know that looking at the numbers and my personal experiences working in the hospitals, that the numbers are the, the highest they've been um, and uh, it is most certainly real. And now we'll go to the line of Ron Lynn with the Los Angeles Times. Please go ahead. Hi, doctor. Thanks so much for taking our questions and for your time. Uh, before today's press conference, I got the sense that our hospitals are in crisis currently, but not yet completely overwhelmed. And with this latest information, I need to ask, are we overwhelmed right now? And if not yet, are we headed and destined to a New York City-style overwhelming of our ICU system that will increase the chance of death because staff is stretched beyond reasonable limits. Uh, the second question is, uh, has LA County begun to say no to requests from other counties um, uh, who are asking for uh, help 
uh, in dealing with their overflow of patients. Thank, Thank you. you. Dr. Galley will take those. Yeah, hi. I think the question of our hospitals overwhelmed doesn't have an easy and quick yes-no answer. Uh, the volume of patients ebbs and flows throughout the day. Staffing ebbs and flows throughout the day. Patients are constantly being admitted, discharged. Ambulances come in and come out. Uh, the number of ambulances varies throughout the day and varies depending on how many other neighboring hospitals are on diversion at that moment in time. So really what we're seeing is hospitals that are strained and are under immense stress. Many hospitals have already broken their staffing ratios and their staff are uh, not necessarily getting either the breaks or rest that they're supposed to be getting and should absolutely have the right to get or they're working beyond the state mandated ratios. And what we'll see is that this will be a continuous process that will continue to escalate over time. Uh, with respect to the second question on other counties, we have not received a large number of requests from other counties for incoming transfers at this point in time. Uh, it's something that we'll continue to watch, obviously, uh, but at this point, each county certainly has enough of their own volume within their, their walls of their county to be able to handle. We'll take the next question. And that will come from the line of Bill Schumann with Fox 11 News. Your line is open. I, a little bit of a different uh, subject matter. Uh, Dr. Ferrer, are you still confident that designated film TV production crews as critical infrastructure uh, is a smart idea? We've got a lot of questions and complaints from viewers who see production crews out in the field uh, interacting really closely with members of the public, like, for example, on the Venice Boardwalk. Yeah, thanks a lot, Phil, and an important question. I, I do want to remind folks, um, you know, you, if, you, if you see something that's happening and it, it really doesn't make sense and it looks like people aren't following the rules, whether it's a production company or it's anything else uh, that's associated with the business, you know, we are going to ask that you call that into us so that we can investigate. You know, the production companies have extraordinarily strict rules. It's a labor management agreement as well. Uh, for much of the large, many of the larger production companies, uh, and it requires both uh, of all of the uh, infection control that we we always talk about, as well as a frequent testing protocol. Uh, but there also are very strict rules about not interacting with the public. As a matter of fact, they're not even allowed to have audiences unless those audiences are uh, employees at this point. Um, so if you're seeing something or, or, you know, people in the public are seeing things where there is this sort of easy exchange and, and people that are really part of a crew are involving people in the public, uh, we'd like you to report that to us. We will investigate and we will work with those production companies uh, to make sure that the rules are followed. The rules are, as you know, at this moment in time, uh, they make the difference between something happening with as much safety as possible and something happening with so little safety that it ought not happen. So thanks for that. And we'll take the next question. And that will come from the line of Patrick Healy with NBC4. Your line is open. Hi, forgive me, doctors, but I have to ask the doomsday scenario question. What happens on that day when there is no additional room in critical care and intensive care for patients to be transferred in and when all of the receiving hospitals in the county are on diversion. Can you walk us through that scenario and, and give us some idea how many days away that is? 
Sure. To address that question, I think on the second part, when, when all hospitals on di are on diversion, no one's on diversion. Diversion is a process where ambulances uh, can uh, move away from one hospital that might be more impacted than another hospital and go to the hospital that has, has more space and more ability to offload. But if all hospitals are doing that at the same time, then effectively uh, you're past the diversion process and then ambulances just go to the closest emergency department with still some effort to load balance, but it's not any longer an effective tool. Um, in terms of your first question, many hospitals have already moved intensive care unit patients out of what is the officially licensed intensive care units. Uh, many hospitals have established ICU space within their emergency departments, within anesthesia recovery room areas, within operating rooms. Uh, sometimes they've established and started taking care of intensive care unit patients on uh, step-down units or progressive care units or even on the regular medical surgical wards depending on the physical setup that's in place in a, any particular hospital. And you'll see hospitals continuing to do that. So again, the primary issue is not necessarily space. The primary issue is the staff. Uh, and typically we expect, the state expects, that one intensive care unit nurse can take care of two patients. Uh, there's times in which the ratio is one to one, but the vast majority of the time in the intensive care unit, it's one nurse for every two patients. When you don't have enough nurses to cover the number of intensive care unit patients that you have, then you can't work in ratio. And then what you'll have is situations that we've seen play out in other parts of the country throughout this pandemic, where nurses are taking care of many more than two patients. And that's where we get into situations with poor patient outcomes and excess deaths. We'll take the next question. Okay, and the next question will come from the line of Claudia Pesciuta with KNX. Your line is open. Hi, I have two questions. The first one for Barbara. Um, what's the total number of nursing home resident deaths right now? And given what you said, it sounds like it is a race against time to prevent the huge numbers of deaths in these facilities that we saw early on in the pandemic. Can you talk about that and how long it might take, um, given the current uncertainties, to get all SNF uh, residents and staff vaccinated. And then for um, Dr. Galley, on Monday, you said the state has sent fewer than 10 ICU workers to the county. Is any additional help coming from the state or anything from the feds? Is the county tracking the current uh, numbers of hospital uh, or healthcare workers available? Do you have figures on how many more might be needed to deal with the growing wave of patients? And I'm wondering if there's any consideration being given to perhaps offering the vaccine to former healthcare workers to bring them back into the field. Thank you. Yeah, um, thanks so much, uh, Claudia. I'll, I'll have to get you the number of total deaths at the SNFs uh, from the beginning of the pandemic. I don't have it. I mean, we can look at that slide and, you know, guess what it is, but we have the total number. I'll just need to get that back to you. Uh, in terms of you know, the, the plan to vaccinate quickly um, as a strategy, obviously, and, and a powerful tool uh, to trying to protect people who, who need a lot of protection at this point. Um, that's, that's, our, that's our goal, and that's why we're, we're going early and we're starting, you know, as soon as we get the next uh, allocation. It's because we know there's a lot of vulnerability there, and we know when there's a lot of community transmission, uh, it's very easy for staff uh, to actually uh, be able to bring in uh, infection. We do uh, a lot of testing at the SNFs. We actually have required a second test every week 
uh, for all employees. Uh, that's above and beyond what the state requires. Uh, as soon as we started experiencing the significant increase here in LA County to really try very quickly uh, to capture people who are positive. And, and as you know, we also uh, do surveillance testing on residents. Uh, but it is already an alarming increase for us in terms of the number of people who have become infected this last month who work at SNFs and the number of patients at SNFs uh, who have tested positive. I think our systems are, are much stronger now. We have way more information. We've made a lot of changes. Everything at the SNFs, at the skilled nursing facilities now is, is run in zones. Our, our teams are out there, uh, both uh, you know, checking in on a very regular basis and working very closely with any SNF that has one or more cases. Uh, these are all changes we made uh, over the spring as we really tried to figure out what would be helpful there. So I think even though we're seeing a huge surge in cases in the general public, the equivalent surge is not happening in our SNFs, but it's enough of an increase uh, for us to be worried and to move in quickly with vaccines. Um, and uh, in terms of the prioritization for people who will get vaccinated, at this point it's frontline healthcare workers in phase 1A, so it is really limited to people who are working, but obviously people who want to come back in and are going to do work will then become frontline workers and they'll be eligible to get vaccinated uh, at that point. But it is right now in phase 1A, it is uh, people who are actually working uh, in healthcare right now, and there's uh, those that are are working most closely with patients uh, are those that are going to get vaccinated in this very early round. But I'll turn it over to Dr. Galley. So uh, on the, the first part of the question, uh, a couple of clarifications. When I mentioned that there were fewer than 10 uh, staff from the state registry that had come in on Monday, that was in reference to the four DHS hospitals only. I don't have the stats offhand on the number of staff that have been sent from the state across all hospitals in Los Angeles County, and I'll see if I can get that number and get that to you. Also on Monday, there were 14 total hospitals at that time that had submitted for to uh, additional hospital resources, staffing resources from the state. Uh, and I'll also see if there's an updated number on that. Of those 14 hospitals, it included all four of the DHS hospitals. Uh, as the state announced, I believe yesterday, they have submitted requests to the Department of Dep Defense to have additional DOD staff come in to help staff hospitals across California. They put in a request for, I believe, 200 DOD staff people. We have not yet received notice of where those staff will be allocated across all of the 58 counties in California, uh, but we will keep you updated there as well. And then on your question on retirees, recent retirees, or people who used to work in healthcare who are willing to come back, absolutely. Um, many hospital systems and health systems have sought to reach out to previous retirees or recent retirees and see if they're interested in coming back. The state has also made those efforts through a variety of programs. Uh, and certainly, if staff do come back and are willing to come back and put their immense skills to use, they are more than welcome. Uh, and they would be in the um, top priority pool for receiving a vaccine, just as all of our existing healthcare workforce are on the front line. And I'd now like to introduce again Supervisor Solis for Spanish remarks. Thank you. Buenas tardes. Soy Hilda Solis, Presidenta de la Junta de Supervisores del Condado de Los Ángeles. El lunes, los primeros trabajadores de salud en el Condado de Los Ángeles recibieron la vacuna de Pfizer. Fue un día tan especial para nuestro país en la lucha contra el COVID-19. 
Quiero agradecer a los increíbles científicos, entre ellos unos orgullosos de ser inmigrantes que trabajaban hasta desarrollar esta vacuna segura. Gracias a ellos, ahora podemos ver un punto final para estar, para que podamos haber una re resolución de esta pandemia. Y eso me llena con mucho gran esperanza. Tuve el honor de atender este momento histórico y platicar con la enfermera de la UCE que recibió la vacuna. Se ofreció como voluntaria para ser una de las primeras personas en California en vacunarse para demostrar su seguridad. Ha estado trabajando muchas horas cuidando pacientes con COVID-19. En las últimas semanas, su trabajo se ha vuelto más difícil y que el número de pacientes ha aumentado. Ella y muchos otros trabajadores de salud son algunos de las personas más valientes durante esta pandemia. Merecen nuestra gratitud completa y van a ser priorizadas para recibir la vacuna. Pero sabemos que también están muy cansados y que nosotros especialmente vemos en los hospitales que continúan a llenarse. Por ahora, la vacuna no nos va a salvar de este incremento de casos de COVID-19. Deberíamos de tener una balanza entre esperanza y vigilancia. Esta es la última rueda de prensa que hará antes que terminar el año. Yo quiero recordarles a nuestros residentes, antes de los días festivos, no podemos bajar la guardia. Usted y sus seres queridos no quieren pasar los días festi festivales uh, enfermos o en un hospital. La vacuna ya sabemos que está aquí. La pandemia no dura para siempre. La meta para todos nuestros es tener seguridad y la seguridad de nuestros seres queridos hasta que la vacuna está disponible a todos. Es solo una cuestión de tiempo, pero primero deberíamos superar los próximos meses. Esperamos que el segundo envío de vacunas el 21 de diciembre. Estos serán para personales y residentes de los centros de enferme, enfermería especializando en los centros de atención a largo plazo. Antes que terminar el año, esperamos obtener una tercera envío de esta primera ola con el objetivo de vacunar de 250 hasta 300,000 proveedores de atención médica, trabajadores médicos de emergencia y empleados y residentes del Centro de Enfermería Especializada. En el nuevo año vamos a poder vacunar de manera más amplia. Nos vamos a asegurar que las vacunas están disponibles en todas las comunidades y a todas las personas aquí que viven en el Condado de Los Ángeles. Estoy comprometida en asegurarme que todos los que quieren una vacuna tengan el acceso. Con los días festivos llegando, hay una luz brillante para nosotros y nuestras comunidades. Pero debíamos delimitar los reuniones familiares para acabar con el aumento de este virus. Esto puede salvar muchas vidas. Tenemos que cumplir con los órdenes de salud durante esta temporada navideña. Gracias y ahora me gustaría presentarles a nuestra representante del Departamento de Salud Pública, Jacqueline Vilenzuela. 
Buenas tardes. Hoy les pondremos al día sobre nuestra abrumadora oleada de casos de COVID-19 y los devastadores aumentos en hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos que seguimos teniendo en el condado de Los Ángeles. También hablaremos sobre cómo este aumento en casos está afectando de manera desproporcionada a algunas comunidades en el condado de Los Ángeles. Y al final de la sesión daremos un informe sobre las vacunas contra el COVID-19 y su distribución aquí en el condado. Antes de darles estas actualizaciones y ponerlos al tanto sobre la vacuna, queremos reconocer que estamos experimentando una oleada explosiva y muy mortal y hay urgencia de nuestra parte para que todos hagamos eh, todo lo que esté en nuestro alcance para frenar la propagación y evitar más sufrimiento. Aunque ha llegado la primera distribución de la vacuna de COVID-19, debemos tener en cuenta que este virus todavía está muy presente en nuestro condado y continúa arruinando vidas y sobre todo está abrumando por completo nuestro sistema de atención de salud perdón, hospitalaria. La capacidad hospitalaria está disminuyendo a niveles alarmantes y nuestros trabajadores de salud están llevados al límite. Esto afecta a todas las personas que viven y trabajan en el condado de Los Ángeles, ya que todos dependemos de poder obtener servicios médicos uh, esenciales cuando los necesitamos. Cada hora, en promedio, dos de nuestros vecinos, familiares y amigos mueren por causas de COVID-19. Y el virus está muy presente en nuestras comunidades. Tenemos el camino más difícil frente a nosotros y animamos a todos a que se queden en casa tanto sea posible. Protejan a sus familias y amigos y tomen todas las precauciones que están a su alcance. Solo siendo diligentes durante las fiestas de diciembre, podremos detener el aumento y brindar un alivio esencial a nuestros hospitales y trabajadores de salud. First slide, please. Ahora, para actualizarlo sobre nuestro estado actual, estamos tristes de reportar 138 fallecimientos adicionales hoy. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 8,568 en el condado de Los Ángeles. Hoy estamos reportando 22,422 casos nuevos. Y esto incluye un retraso de aproximadamente 7,000 casos eh, estos son números extraordinarios y representan la transmisión continua uh, que está fuera de control. 4,656, uh, perdón, eh, esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 566,005 personas. 4,656 casos confirmados están hospitalizados actualmente. El 21% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 15% están en ventiladores. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 52,885, incluidos personal y residentes. Next slide, please. Este gráfico nos muestra el promedio del número diario de siete días de casos de COVID-19 por fecha de episodio. 
La fecha del episodio es la fecha en que una persona se hizo la prueba o experimentó los síntomas de COVID-19 por primera vez. Como podemos ver en este gráfico, el aumento en los casos de COVID-19 en el condado de Los Ángeles continúa y es una línea casi vertical en las últimas semanas. Desde el primero de noviembre hasta el 8 de diciembre, el promedio de casos diarios aumentó en un 656%. Y en la última semana y media hemos visto cómo los casos se incrementaron aproximadamente a, a 5,900 casos nuevos por día en la última semana de noviembre, a un promedio de 9,264 casos diarios la segunda semana de diciembre. Next slide, please. En este gráfico podemos observar el promedio diario de tres días de nuestra tasa de positividad o el porcentaje de pruebas que dan positivo. Igual que nuestros casos, refleja un significante aumento uh, de transmisión comunitaria. Desde principios de noviembre hasta el 8 de diciembre, nuestra tasa de positividad ahora casi se ha cuadriplicado. Cuadru, perdón, cuadriplicado de alrededor del 3,5% a más de 15%. Next slide, please. En este gráfico debemos prestar mucha atención. Como hemos estado informando, el condado de Los Ángeles está experimentando un fuerte aumento en la cantidad de personas que se enferman gravemente por COVID-19 y requieren hospitalización. Desde principios de noviembre, el número diario de personas hospitalizadas por causas de COVID-19 ha aumentado de 791 pacientes hospitalizados uh, el primero de noviembre a 4,656 pacientes en la actualidad. Durante las últimas dos semanas, hemos seguido viendo el número más alto de personas hospitalizadas desde el inicio de la pandemia. Con estos grandes aumentos, esperamos ver que el número de personas hospitalizadas por COVID-19 lleguen a 5,000 en las próximas semanas. La triste realidad es que el abrumador aumento de pacientes con COVID-19 en los hospitales hoy refleja nuestro número de casos hace dos semanas, cuando el número promedio diario de casos nuevos era de 6,300. Con nuestro promedio de casos diarios la semana pasada aumentando a 12,768, la cantidad de personas positivas a COVID-19 que necesitan atención hospitalaria seguirá aumentando. Next slide, please. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de siete días de la cantidad diaria de fallecimientos por COVID-19. Y como puede ver, ahora estamos experimentando un aumento muy triste eh, de fallecimientos que probablemente superarán lo, los vistos al principio de la pandemia. Desde el 9 de noviembre, el promedio de fallecimientos diarios ha aumentado un 267% a un promedio de 12 fallecimientos por día a 44 fallecimientos por día para el 8 de diciembre. Debido a que seguimos viendo más casos y más hospitalizaciones, el aumento de los fallecimientos diarios eh, permanecerá en su curso de manera muy preocupante y trágica y, uh, y durará por algún tiempo. COVID-19 ya ha causado daño, llevándose más de 8,000 vidas. 
estas uh, son personas de todas las edades y que, vive, que viven en comunidades a través de nuestro condado. Sus fallecimientos son una pérdida irreparable para sus amigos, familiares y compañeros de trabajo y para toda nuestra comunidad. Next slide, please. Este gráfico nos muestra el número diario de fallecimientos en comparación con nuestro promedio diario de fallecimientos en los centros de enfermería especializada. Para los fallecimientos en general, ahora estamos viendo aumentos similares a los que vimos al principio de la pandemia. Desafortunadamente, también estamos viendo un aumento en fallecimientos en nuestras instalaciones de enfermería especializada. Aunque afortunadamente no a los mismos niveles que vimos al principio de la pandemia. A principios de mayo, los fallecimientos semanales de residentes de centros de enfermería especializada alcanzaron un máximo de 191. Para el periodo que finalizó al 5 de diciembre, las muertes semanales en estos centros aumentaron a 49. Seguimos trabajando con estas instalaciones y colaboramos con nuestras entidades gubernamentales para vigilar los brotes y tomar medidas y así proteger aún más tanto a los residentes como al personal. Y como hemos mencionado, los residentes de las instalaciones de enfermería especializada se encuentran entre los que serán vacunados en esta primera fase. Extendemos nuestro agradecimiento a los miles de trabajadores de las instalaciones de enfermería especializada que hacen todo lo posible para cuidar a algunos de nuestros residentes más vulnerables. Next slide, please. Este gráfico muestra la relación entre el aumento de casos y el aumento de las hospitalizaciones y, últimamente, un aumento en fallecimientos. La línea verde muestra los casos, la línea anaranjada nos muestra las hospitalizaciones y la línea azul muestra los fallecimientos. Pueden observar que las hospitalizaciones y los fallecimientos aumentaron poco después de que comenzara el aumento de casos y han seguido aumentando. Teniendo en cuenta cómo los casos continúan aumentando rápidamente, podemos con un alto grado de certeza eh, predecir aumentos futuros en el número de personas hospitalizadas y que fallecen, lo que genera más preocupación y, do y dolor para muchos. Next slide, please. Como lo hemos, uh, como lo hacemos cada dos semanas, estamos compartiendo los datos que tenemos que muestran el impacto en diferentes grupos de residentes en términos de casos, hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos. A medida que aumentan los casos, es muy claro y bastante alarmante que ciertos grupos están teniendo cada día más una carga de enfermedad mayor que otros. Las brechas entre los grupos raciales y étnicos que avanzamos en cerrar en septiembre continúan aumentando, especialmente para los residentes latinos en comparación con otros grupos, aunque todos los grupos están viendo aumentos. En este gráfico podemos observar la tasa diaria ajustada por edad de casos por cada 100,000 personas por raza y etnicidad desde a fines de abril hasta el 8 de diciembre. La línea María es la tasa de casos para los residentes latinos. Los residentes latinos ahora están viendo una tasa de siete días de casi 650 nuevos casos por cada 100,000 personas. 
Esto es más del doble que la de los residentes afroamericanos. El grupo con la segunda tasa de casos más alta de alrededor de 270 casos por cada 100,000 personas. Los residentes blancos están teniendo 250 casos nuevos por cada 100,000 personas y los residentes asiáticos alrededor de 172 casos por cada 100,000 personas. Next slide, please. Como estamos viendo con los casos, las tasas de hospitalización por raza y etnicidad también están aumentando. Los residentes latinos, la línea María, tienen una tasa de hospitalización de 55 por cada 100,000 personas, un aumento del 358% desde principios de noviembre y tres veces la de los residentes blancos. El número de residentes afroamericanos en los hospitales también está aumentando a 36 por cada 100,000 personas, un aumento del 350% desde principios de noviembre y más del doble que la de los residentes blancos. Los residentes blancos, la línea anaranjada, uh, cuya tasa es de 17 por 100,000, y los residentes asiáticos, la línea azul, cuya tasa es de 15 por 100,000, uh, experimentan tasas más bajas de hospitalización que los residentes afroamericanos y latinos. Next slide, please. De manera alarmante, mientras que las tasas de mortalidad entre los residentes blancos se mantienen estables en alrededor de uno a dos fallecimientos por cada 100,000 personas, los residentes latinos, afroamericanos y asiáticos están teniendo aumentos uh, en fallecimientos. En las últimas cuatro semanas, la tasa de mortalidad entre los latinos, la línea María, aumentó de 1.5 fallecimientos diarios por cada 100,000 personas a 4.5 muertes diarias, dos veces la tasa de residentes blancos. En cuatro semanas, la tasa de mortalidad de los residentes afroamericanos ha aumentado de menos de un, uno por cada 100,000 personas a más de tres por cada 100,000 personas. Y ahora estamos viendo un aumento en los fallecimientos entre los residentes asiáticos de 0.5 muertes a principios de noviembre a tres fallecimientos por cada 100,000 personas. Next slide, please. Y además de la raza y etnicidad, también observamos las diferencias en nuestros indicadores para así poder entender el impacto del bajo nivel socioeconómico en la transmisión y en los resultados de la enfermedad. Aquí podemos ver la relación directa entre los altos niveles de pobreza y las altas tasas de casos. Aquellos que viven en las áreas del condado con las tasas más altas de casos son también las mismas personas que viven en comunidades con menos recursos. Las líneas amarilla y anaranjada. Como podemos observar, todos los grupos están viendo aumentos en casos. El 7 de diciembre, las personas que vivían en las áreas de menos recursos tenían una tasa de casos de casi mil casos por cada 100,000 personas. Eso es el triple de lo que era hace solo dos semanas. Las personas que viven en las zonas con más recursos tenían una tasa de casos de 457 por cada 100,000 personas, aproximadamente el doble de lo que vimos hace dos semanas. Next slide, please. 
En este gráfico mostramos el impacto del área de pobreza en las tasas de mortalidad. Aquellos residentes que viven en áreas con menos recursos, la línea anaranjada, han experimentado tasas de fallecimientos consistentemente más altas en comparación con sus vecinos con mejor condición económica, la línea azul. A medida que los fallecimientos han comenzado a aumentar, vemos que las personas en los niveles de recursos más bajos están siendo más afectados. La tasa de mortalidad entre las personas que viven en las áreas de recursos más bajos es cuatro veces más alta que la de las personas que viven en las áreas con más recursos. Esta brecha sigue creciendo. A lo largo de la pandemia se ha manifestado de gran manera las consecuencias del racismo y la pobreza. Las brechas cada vez mayores son un claro recordatorio de que muchos de nuestros trabajadores esenciales son latinos y afroamericanos y no pueden trabajar desde su hogar o quedarse en casa. Muchos tienen empleos sin salarios, perdón, con salarios bajos y algunos de ellos viven en vecindarios con escasos recursos. Durante el aumento repentino, todos nos Nuestros trabajadores esenciales asumen mayores riesgos en sus trabajos cuando las tasas de transmisión son tan altas. La única forma de reducir su riesgo es de que todos los negocios implementen eh, completamente las modificaciones de seguridad requeridas por la orden del oficial de salud, incluido el suministro de equipo de protección y control de infecciones adecuado. Y también necesitamos que todos los residentes protejan a nuestros trabajadores esenciales siguiendo las reglas. Eso significa hacer uso de las cubiertas para la cara y mantener la distancia física, lavarse las manos con frecuencia y limitar todas las actividades no esenciales. El incumplimiento en sitios de trabajo se pueden informar de forma anónima al 888-700-995. Tendremos que seguir trabajando duro para abordar las causas fundamentales de este impacto desproporcionado en la salud, luchando contra el racismo y asegurando de que cada individuo, familia y comunidad tenga los recursos necesarios para sobrevivir esta pandemia. Next slide, please. Ahora queremos brindarles una actualización sobre las vacunas que llegaron al condado de Los Ángeles y los grupos que se van a vacunar. Hasta el día de hoy, los nueve hospitales designados han sido los primeros en recibir las casi 83,000 dosis de la vacuna de COVID-19. Cada uno de estos nueve sitios asignados han estado trabajando con el Departamento de Salud Pública y nuestros socios de servicios médicos de emergencia para organizar la distribución eh, de vacunas para que todos los hospitales de cuidados in intensivos en el condado de Los Ángeles que tratan pacientes con COVID-19 reciban estas dosis en esta primera fase de distribución. A partir de hoy, la, los hospitales de cuidados intensivos están comenzando a, o pronto comenzarán el proceso de administrar las vacunas a su personal con mayor riesgo de exposición. La primera ronda de vacunas de COVID-19 en el condado de Los Ángeles será para nuestros héroes en, este, en esta pandemia, es decir, los trabajadores de salud de primera línea que se han puesto en riesgo para cuidar de nosotros. 
una segunda ronda de la vacuna que esperamos a fines de este mes nos permitirá, nos permitirá distribuir uh, dosis a todo el personal de atención médica y residentes en nuestras instalaciones de enfermería especializada y trabajadores de servicios médicos de emergencia, uh, junto con la distribución al personal de atención médica de primera línea. Todavía no tenemos confirmación sobre el número exacto de dosis que recibiremos en el próximo envío. Compartiremos esa información tan pronto como la tengamos. Y continuaremos brindándoles actualizaciones sobre nuestro progreso de vacunación y queremos expresar nuestro agradecimiento a todas las personas que se han unido en ayudarnos a distribuir las vacunas de manera segura, eficiente y durante este mes y en los futuros meses. Next slide, please. Aunque la llegada de las, uh, de las vacunas al condado de Los Ángeles nos ha dado mucha esperanza, todavía estamos experimentando este devastador aumento en casos, hospitalizaciones y lamentablemente más fallecimientos. La forma de, tener esta, de, de tener esta oleada explosiva es usar las herramientas que tenemos, los que todos ya conocemos y hemos estado usando durante los últimos meses. Depende de cada uno de nosotros hacer nuestra parte para reducir la transmisión de este virus mortal. Es importante ahora más que nunca tomar estas decisiones debido a la manera abrumadora que nuestros hospitales se, encuent se encuentran en estos momentos. En los próximos días es probable que haya más de 5,000 pacientes hospitalizados con COVID-19 y más del 50% de las camas de las unidades de cuidados intensivos estarán ocupadas por pacientes con COVID-19. Lo mejor que puede hacer en este momento es quedarse en casa tanto como sea posible y solo salir para trabajar, hacer ejercicio al aire libre o para servicios esenciales. Cuando deba salir de su casa, siempre use su cubierta para la cara y manténgase a, a por lo menos de seis pies de distancia de las personas que no viven con usted. Cancele sus planes de vacaciones que involucren viajes o reuniones con amigos o familias que no viven con usted. Hemos escuchado que varias personas que han ay, pospuesto sus planes de viaje y ahora se quedarán en casa. Nos anima mucho saber que muchas fiestas y celebraciones navideñas se han cancelado también. Esto es lo más correcto que podemos hacer por los momentos, aunque sea duro para todos. Sabemos que es muy arriesgado en estos momentos compartir en grupos con personas que no viven con usted. Diariamente decimos que este año debe ser diferente y que no podemos celebrar de manera que estamos acostumbrados a hacerlo. Y aunque nos gustaría, no es posible. Estamos aprendiendo una lección dura y dolorosa de nuestras acciones durante el Día de Acción de Gracias. Por favor, no repitamos los mismos errores este mes. We'll go ahead and, check. We'll go ahead and now move on to um, our Korean speaker. Thank you. 안녕하십니까? 먼저 데일리 리포트를 말씀드리겠습니다. 유감스럽게도 오늘 138명의 새로운 사망자가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 LA 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 8,568명입니다. 오늘 새로운 케이스의 수는 22,422명인데 이 수치는 7,000개 정도의 미집계 케이스를 포함한 수입니다. 이로써 LA 카운티에서의 총 케이스 수는 
6,500명입니다. 현재 코비드19로 병원에 입원한 사람들의 환자 수는 4,656명이고 21%는 중환자실에 15%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 3,393개의 거주 그리고 비거주 시설을 조사하였는데 1,227개는 조사 중이고 2,166개는 조사를 마친 상태입니다. 시설에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 5만 2,885명이고 이 중에 2만 4,484명은 거주자이며 2만 8,401명은 직원이었습니다. 11월 1일부터 12월 8일까지의 평균 1일 케이스 수는 656%가 증가하였는데 지난 한주반 동안 평균 매일 새 케이스 수가 5,900에서 9,264개로 증가하였습니다. 11월 초부터 12월 8일까지 확진률이 3.5%에서 15%로 3배 증가하였습니다. 11월 초부터 코비드19로 인한 병원 입원자 수가 7,791명에서 오늘 4,656명으로 증가하였습니다. 월요일에 말씀드렸던 것처럼 이번 주말에 병원 입원자 수가 5,000명에 달을 것으로 보고 있습니다. 오늘날의 코비드19 병원 입원자 수는 2주 전에 평균 케이스 수가 6,300명이었을 때에 기준한 것이므로 지난주 평균 케이스가 12,768명으로 늘었기 때문에 그에 따라서 병원 입원자 수가 계속 증가할 것으로 보고 있습니다. 11월 9일부터 평균 1일 사망자 수 역시 267%가 증가하여서 평균 12명에서 12월 8일에는 44명으로 증가하였습니다. 코비드19는 벌써 8,000명이 넘는 사람들의 목숨을 앗아갔습니다. 이들은 카운티 전체에 걸쳐서 살고 있는 서로 다른 연령층과 커뮤니티에 살던 사람들입니다. 5월 초에는 전문 간호시설에 살고 있던 주민들의 일주일간 사망자 수가 191명이었는데 12월 2월 5일 주간에는 그 사망자 수가 49명인 것으로 보고되었습니다. 보건국은 계속해서 이 시설들과 파트너들과 함께 협력하여 발병한 것을 모니터하고 또 거주민들과 직원들을 보호하기 위해서 최선을 다하고 있습니다. 전문 간호시설의 거주민들과 직원들이 제일 먼저 백신 주사를 받을 수 있게 될 것입니다. 전문 간호시설에서 가장 취약한 주민들을 보살피기 위해서 최선을 다하고 있는 수천 명의 종사자들에게 감사를 표하는 바입니다. 4월 말에서 12월 8일까지 인종과 민족성 간의 10만 명당 케이스류를 비교해보면 라틴계 주민들 가운데에서 7일 확진 케이스류는 10만 명당 650명이었습니다. 이 수치는 흑인 주민보다 2배 이상인데 10만 명당 270명이었습니다. 백인 주민들보다는 3배 높은 수치인데 백인 주민들은 10만 명당 250명이었고 동양 주민들은 10만 명당 172명이었습니다. 라틴 주민들의 병원 입원율은 11월 초보다 358%가 증가하여서 10만 명당 55명이고 이 수치는 백인 주민보다 3배 높은 수치였습니다. 
흑인 주민들의 병원 입원율도 증가하고 있는데 10만 명당 36명으로 이 수치는 11월 초보다 350% 증가한 것이고 백인 주민들보다는 2배 이상 되는 수치입니다. 백인 주민들은 10만 명당 17명, 동양인은 10만 명당 15명이었습니다. 지난 4주 동안 라틴 계열 주민들의 사망률은 10만 명당 1.5에서 4.5로 증가하였는데 이 수치는 백인 주민보다 2배인 수치입니다. 흑인 주민들의 사망률은 10만 명당 1명에서 3명으로 증가하였고 동양인은 0.5명에서 3명으로 증가하였습니다. 12월 7일에 빈곤 지역에 살고 있는 사람들의 케이스률은 10만 명당 1,000명으로 증가하였는데 2주 전보다 3배가 되는 수치입니다. 또한 부유한 지역에 사는 사람들의 케이스률은 10만 명당 457명으로 2주 전보다는 2배가 되는 수치입니다. 빈곤 지역에 사는 주민들의 사망률은 그렇지 않은 지역보다 4배 높은 수치였습니다. 팬데믹 동안 인종차별과 빈곤 수준으로 인해서 상사에 영향을 미쳐왔고 계속 그러한 것을 볼수 있습니다. 필수 업종 종사자들이 대부분 흑인이거나 황인종이고 많은 사람들이 집에 머물러 있거나 집에서 일할 수 없는 상황입니다. 많은 사람들이 수입이 적고 빈곤 지역에 살고 있기 때문에 바이러스 케이스가 급증하면서 필수 업종 종사자들은 직장에서, 직장에서 더 많은 위험에 노출되고 있습니다. 이 위험을 감수하기 위해서는 모든 사업체에서 보건 담당자 명령에서 요구하는 대로 안전수칙을 따라야 하는데 필요한 개인 보호 장비를 꼭 사용하고 전염병 관리 조처를 취하는 것입니다. 또한 모든 주민들이 얼굴 가리개를 사용하고 다른 사람들과의 거리를 유지하고 무리지어 모이지 않으며 손을 자주 씻고 모든 비필수 활동들을 하지 않으므로 그렇게 할수 있습니다. 직장에서의 위반은 익명으로 신고할 수 있는데 그 번호는 신고 번호는 888-700-9995번입니다. 888-700-9995번으로 전화하실 수 있습니다. 이제 백신 주사와 관련된 업데이트를 말씀드리겠습니다. 오늘로써 모두 9개의 정해진 병원에서 약 8만 3천 개의 코비드19 백신 주사를 받게 되었습니다. 각 9개의 장소에서는 보건당국과 파트너들과 함께 백신 주사를 다시 나누는 일을 할 것인데 LA카운티에서 코비드19 환자를 치료하고 있는 모든 병원에서 백신 주사를 얼마간의 양을 받을 수 있도록 마련할 것입니다. 오늘부터 병원에서 가장 노출, 코비드19에 노출될 위험이 가장 큰 직원에게 백신 주사를 제공하는 그 단계를 시작할 것입니다. 첫 번째로 할당된 코비드19의 백신 주사는 먼저 팬데믹 동안 다른 사람들을 돌보기 위해 가장 위험에 노출이 되는 위험, 위료 서비스 종사자들에게 갈 것입니다. 두 번째로 할당되는 백신 주사는 이번 달 말에 전문 간호시설과 시설에 살고 있는 거주민들과 의료서비스 종사자들 또한 응급의료서비스 종사자들을 위해서 배분될 것입니다. 아직 정확히 몇 개의 백신 주사를 받게 될지는 모르지만 확인이 되는 대로 그 사항 역시 말씀드릴 것입니다. 
LA 카운티에 백신 주사가 도착한 것이 우리에게 아주 큰 희망적이기는 하지만 아직 케이스 수나 병원 입원자 수, 안타깝게도 사망자 수가 비참하게 증가하고 있는 상황입니다. 이 폭발적인 증가를 막을 수 있는 방법은 우리가 가지고 있는 도구들을 사용하는 것인데 이 치명적인 바이러스의 확산을 낮추기 위해서 우리 각자 모두에게 달려 있습니다. 단지 며칠 후에 코비드19로 병원에 입원한 자의 수는 5천 명을 넘을 것이며 50% 이상의 중환자실 병상이 코비드19 환자가 사용하게 될 것입니다. 이 어려운 때를 이겨나가는 가장 중요한 방법은 가능하면 집에 머물러 있고 직장이나 운동 혹은 필수 서비스를 위해서만 집 밖으로 나가는 것입니다. 집 밖을 나갈 때에는 항상 얼굴 가리개를 사용하고 같이 살고 있지 않은 사람과 적어도 6피트 거리를 유지해야만 합니다. 여행이나 또 함께 살고 있지 않은 친구나 가족과 모이는 공휴일 계획을 모두 취소하시기 바랍니다. 큰 휴일 모임들이 취소되었다는 소식을 듣는 것은 매우 격려적입니다. 또한 이것은 아주 현명한 선택일 것입니다. 가족 외에 다른 사람들과 어울리는 것은 현재 너무나도 위험한 일입니다. 우리는 땡스기빙 때 했던 행동을 통해서 이미 뼈저리게 배웠습니다. 이번 달에는 같은 실수를 반복하지 않도록 해야 할 것입니다. 감사합니다. Uh, now, Alan Chang will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 各位下午好，为保险保护全县人民，感谢督查委员会、首席律师和全体督查委员，感谢你们为保险保护全县人民健康所做的一切。今天我为大家更新我现仍然非常凶猛增长的新冠病例及巨量的输院或死亡人数同时我也会为大家展示新冠病毒如何对不同的社区带来不同的影响最后我会为大家更新新冠病新冠疫苗在落线的一些进展在
，对那些因新冠病毒失去亲人、从此无法与亲人相聚的同胞，我为你们送去最诚挚的祝福。今天我们新添两万一千四百一十一例的新的新冠病例，这一数字当然包括了补剂的七千病例。这一数据无法想象，这说明疫情完全失控。洛杉矶县的病总病例上升到了五十三万九千零九十七例，现有的新冠确诊病例住院人数为四千六百五十六人，其中百分之一的人住在加护病房，而其中又有百分之十五的本人使用呼吸机。我们已对三千三百九十三个大型住宅和非住宅机构进行了调查。这些机构均有至少一个已知新冠病毒患者，其中一千二百二十七人七个人在调查中，两千一百六十六个已结束调查。机构确诊病例的总数为五万两千八百八十五人，其中居民为两万四千四百八十四人，员工为两万八千四百零一人。康复数据，事发日病例数。我们每天都为大家更新事发病例数，这上面所显示的数据让我们越来越不安。这是事发日数据的七天平均值，图中显示洛杉矶的新冠病例持续暴涨，几个星期的增长率呈直线上升。从十月一号到十二月八号，每天平均病例以百分之六百五十六的速度增长。刚刚过去的一个半星期，每天平均新增的病例已从十一月的最后一个星期的五千九百例，增加到了十二月第二个星期的九千二百六十四例。陈阳历，该图显示陈阳历的三天平均值。像新增病例一样，陈阳率也持续上升，反映了社区传播的急剧增加。从十月初到十二月八号，陈阳率已从百分之三点五一直上升到百分之十五。每日住院人数，尤其要注意的是每日住院人数。新冠新冠病例重症需要住院的人数急剧增加，从十月初。住院人数从七百九十一，这个数字是十一月一号的数字，直接上升到今天的四千六百五十六例。在过去的两周内，我们见证了自疫情开始，住院人数创下一个又一个记录。我在星期一说过，这个星期末我们可能会有近五百人住院。每日死亡人数。我们现在正正在经历疫情爆发以来每日死亡人数剧烈增长的情景。从十一月九号的每日十二例，以百分之两百六十七的增长速度，到了十二月八号的每天平均四十四例。疫苗更新，让我为大家介绍一下洛县的疫苗状况及哪部分人已注射疫苗。到今天为止。九家指定的医院已收到了分配的八万三千剂新冠病毒的疫苗。在这个，在这九个预设地点，医务人员都与公共卫生局通力合作
，以确保洛县内每个急诊部都能分配到应得的疫苗数量。截至今天，每个急诊医院将开始或很快就会开始为他们的医务人员针对高风险的人群接种疫苗。洛县的第一批疫苗会直接派发到这次抗疫的英雄们的身上。从疫情开始，他们都为他人的健康或生命战斗在第一线。这个稍后，第二批收到的疫苗将会派到个人医护人员、首领护理中心以及紧急医务服务中心。我们到目前还不知道第二批疫苗的具体数目。一旦我们知道，我们会随时告知大家。我们会为大家持续更新新新冠疫苗派发的进展。我最后谈谈延缓病毒的传播。尽管疫苗给我们带来了一些希望，但事实是我们仍处于一个病例、住院人数乃至死亡人数急剧上升的阶段。阻止病例暴走性增长的方法仍然是充分利用我们所拥有的工具。这取决于我们每个人的努力来减缓这一病毒的传播。现在比以往任何时候都需要我们来重视使用这些工具，因为病毒的传播已给我们的医院及生命带来了毁灭性的打击。不出数日，我们将会看见超过五千新冠病例住院的病例，而其中百分之五十的加护病房当将会用来照顾新冠病例的病病人。其中最重要的是，除了要出门工作、锻炼身体，或获得必须的服务，我们应该尽量待在家中，这样我们才能够共度围捐。如果你必须出门，请佩戴口罩，与他人保持至少六英尺的距离。请取消与非家庭成员和朋友一起旅行和聚会的欢欢度节日的计划。很多人已经告诉我，他们取消了旅行计划、聚餐计划，准备待在家里。我很欣慰，一些大型的节日聚会已经取消。这很明智，因为与非家庭人成员相聚带来的风险太大了。我们曾经说过多次，今年和以往会不同，不能像以往一样欢度节日。我们已经从感恩节吸取了沉痛的教训。我请求大家，这个节日不要再犯同样的错误。This concludes for today. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov. And follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.